Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now these were the elders uh, in their midst, and people and people uh, looked up to them. But when they were gone, they began creeping into sin. So after Joshua died, and all those men that were uh, um, uh, during that time that he lived too, that were contemporary with him, once they all died, then the children went and played. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Israel was not only faithful to God during Joshua's reign, but also faithful to God in the days of Joshua's immediate successors. But afterward, there arose a generation who had not seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The new generation had no personal relationship with God. God was someone who their parents related to and who did great things for their parents' generation. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Therefore, because of this, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. And, and so it was, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. That's why they called the place Bokim, because in the Hebrew, the word means weeping or weepers, because they cried and they cried. Now, notice that when they were confronted, they wept, but unfortunately, it didn't change their hearts. It, 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 this, this, this sorrow of theirs did not result in repentance or obedience. And see, I think this is where America is. I think this is where America is and where America needs to turn from its sin. Corporately in America, we know that there is an abundance of sin on our hands. There's abundance of things that we've done, just even with aborted babies. That alone, there is so much that uh, people in America have done. But let us not be like the children of Israel in this book. You know, they were sorry for their sins, but again, they cried out and God delivered them in His grace and mercy, but it didn't really change their heart. It really didn't bring them to repentance. And I'm certainly not saying that what we're going through right now is, uh, is God's judgment. That's not for me to know. But I will say that it is getting our attention, isn't it? It is getting our attention. Because it's not just something that is happening to the United States. It's something that's happening to the entire world. The entire world is going through this. So it's not just us. But God has his way in the whirlwind, as the Bible says. He has his way, and when he allows something like this to happen on such a global scale, 
He's really shaking the trees. He's really sifting nations and he's sifting people. And even with us in the church, it, it, it ought to bring about a gravity about our relationship with him. It ought to bring about, as it is in me, uh, a desire to really walk a life that is holy, to walk a life that is wholly separated unto him, separated from the world and separated to him. That's what I want to be. I know that's what you want as well. And that's why we're here together, because we all desire to please the Lord. So it's not for me to know what God's purposes are in what we're going through nationally right now. I don't have a clue. I know at the end of it, it's going to be positive. It may bruise us for a while. We may be um, hurting for a little bit, but God is going to have his way. And I pray that all of us, as a result, would just come a lot closer to him and that we'll put off those things that the Bible tells us. Putting off the old man and the deeds thereof, the fornication, the the pride, the self-centeredness, the self-focus. And even in a marriage, there's so much there within a marriage about selfishness. Even in my own marriage with Kathy, you know, I can be really selfish and I can be really self-focused. And, and instead of serving my family and serving my wife, I can be looking out for my own flesh and looking out for me. And and that just has to die. That's just not, it's unacceptable, Right supposed to lay down our lives for our families, men, to live lives that are holy to the Lord. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words uh, that all the children of Israel, they, they lifted up their voices and wept. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 because we're going to look at the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 8, and it says, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he wrote his first letter, and it was a very corrective letter, and it was very pointed, it really struck them hard, and it was a good thing. They needed uh, that kind of discipline, and Paul was God's instrument through which he was going to discipline this church. But Paul writes, he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Okay, there's the difference. When sorrow is led to repentance, let me, let me just go on here. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces what? It produces repentance leading to salvation. But not, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So we have the sorrow of, we have godly sorrow and we have worldly sorrow. He says, for I observed this very thing that you were sorrowful, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. So when, the, when there was a real desire to repent, notice what he says. He says, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So Paul was saying it produced in you those elements of, of, of repentance that were necessary. And it proved itself. And, and, and the way that you responded, you, you quickly turned, and it was a, a genuine act. It wasn't just giving lip service. We all know what that is. You can, you can say, I'm, go- I'm not going to do it again. Husbands, you know this with your wives. You can, you can tell them all the time, you know, I'm not going to, um, I'll make sure that I take out the garbage on Monday night. I'll, I'll always do it, honey. I'll always do it. And how many times are we sitting there? 
on the couch with something to drink, and it's getting 9 o'clock, and your wife says, um, it's time for the garbage to go out, right? Oh, I forgot. And if she hadn't said anything, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done it, right? So, but notice... In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I write to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who had suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. So there is a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Again, and this is what the children of Israel were going through. It wasn't, it was not a godly sorrow. It was a worldly sorrow. They got caught. This angel of the Lord comes to them. They get caught. And the angel tells them, you should have known this, and why didn't you do it? This is what I told you to do, and why is it that you haven't done it? And so, just like a child being caught with the cookie jar, you know, in their hand, when you told them not to put their hands in the cookie jar, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and, and they start crying because they got caught. And they, they didn't like what had happened. You know, it was uh, the worldly sorrow uh, was despairing and it was bitter and ultimately it leads to death. And we know that Judas is a great example of that. It says that after Judas betrayed Jesus, that he ultimately went back into the temple and threw the 30 pieces of silver into the temple. But notice what it produced in him. It wasn't really a genuine repentance because had he repented, Jesus would have received him, I, I believe, if his heart was right. But he went and he hung himself and he was still unrepentant. There was no repentance in him. He was only selfish and he was uh, sorrowful because he got caught and he realized that. But there was no repentance. One gentleman said that repentance is not merely a change of purpose, but includes a change of heart which leads to a turning from sin with grief and hatred thereof to God. And so that's really what it is. It's when you really hate what's inside of you, when you really hate the sin enough You'll, when you turn from it, when you really hate it like God hates it, only then are you going to turn from it. But as long as you coddle it, as long as you love it, you're probably not going to turn from it. And so that's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And the children of Israel were very much into the worldly sorrow. They got caught, and the angel busted them on this. So in verse 5, Then they called the name of that place Bochim, which means weeping. And notice, and they sacrificed to the Lord. They sacrificed to Jehovah. And then verse 6, And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. And so, and this is where Joshua made the covenant. If you look, uh, you don't, don't go there now, but just make a note in, the, in your Bible in the margin, Joshua chapter 24, because Joshua gives them and writes down this covenant for them, and uh, and they make a covenant with God at that time, and they say we're going to serve Him, we're going to we're going to follow the law, and we're going to do the right things, and that's written for us in, in Joshua twenty four. But let's go on to verse seven now. It says, "So the people notice this is this is a, a horrible thing. <laughs> so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which He had done for Israel." Now these were the elders uh, in their midst, and people and people uh, looked up to them. But when they were gone, they began creeping into sin. So after Joshua died, and all those men that were uh, um, uh, during that time that he lived too, that were contemporary with him, once they all died, then the children went and played. And really, that's what this is. It's sort of like a 
uh, a parent leaving his house with two teenagers in the house and saying to them, "Your mom and dad, uh, your mom and uh, your mother and I are going to be leaving for the weekend, and I want you two boys, and they're teenage boys. I want you two boys to, you know, take care of the house and mow the grass, and you have your chores and do your schoolwork and all that stuff. We'll see you guys on Monday." And then for the the kids, once the parents leave, to just um, once the the patriarch, once the authority has left the building, now it's time for the children to play. And I know this in my own life because before Christ, I did the same thing, and I got busted. And perhaps you can recall an event like that in your own life. But see, see if we are not careful, we can imitate those whom the Lord has warned us against. We can we can do the exact same thing because what we have here is it, it, it's not long when we when we become a friend of the world. What's the very next thing that happens when we're a friend of the world? We become spotted by the world, and that uh, it's recorded for us in James one verse twenty seven. And then if and then the next step is that we love the world. First John chapter two verse fifteen. And then we're finally, uh, because we love the world, now we're conforming to the world. And it talks about that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And then finally, we may, if, if we haven't repented and come to Christ, ultimately what could happen is that we could be condemned with the world. Condemned with the world. Now, no true believer is condemned. Um, but if you're not a believer and you're playing games with God, uh, there's, there is a stepping stone. There is a progression of sin. And we see the very same thing in Psalm verse 1. You recall what it says. It says, Blessed is he who walks in the counsel, walks not, I'm sorry, in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You've heard this before, but notice, walks, and then stands, and then sits. You can see how, so when somebody's walking, and they're walking in the way uh, of the counsel of the ungodly. And then what's the next thing that happens? They stop what they're doing, and then they're standing in the way, uh, in the path of sinners. So their mobility, is all, they're slowing down, and they're becoming more solidified in the sin. So they're walking, now they're standing, and then ultimately what's the next step? They sit. They become one with it. And then their doom comes upon them. And that's just the way it is. And that's the way it really was with the children of Israel. There were always these progressions of sin, and they're that way in our own life. But let's go on to verse 8 now in our text tonight. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. So he was an old man, 110 years old. Can you imagine? I can't imagine living 110 years old. There was a man across the street from me who lived to be 104. And uh, just a couple of weeks before he died, he was out mowing the grass. Uh, no kidding, he was out there on a riding lawnmower mowing his grass. And so that was pretty amazing. But, but Joshua died when he was 110. And notice, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Now remember, um, Joshua was, an, uh, was born from Ephraim. And that's the tribe that he was born in. And so he's buried in that place very naturally. Now notice verse 10, and this is where it gets ugly again, uh, and the warning is here too. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord or the work which he had done for Israel. And, and, and it's true, they, they, for all along the way they were, they were floundering and they weren't doing what they, were, they should be doing. 
and God told them what they needed to do. And in fact, one of the things that they were supposed to do every seven years is they were to read the entire book of the law to all the, all the, all the inhabitants. They were to read it before all the children of Israel. And, and they're supposed to gather together. It's recorded for us in Deuteronomy 31, uh, verses 9 through 13. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 9 through 13. We're not going to go there, but you can read that. And it's basically just God outlining at the end of the seven years of their Feast of Tabernacles, they were to get together and they were to be read the entire book of the law. And had they done that faithfully, they probably would have had uh, more resolve to do the right thing. They probably would have taught their kids uh, the truth uh, concerning the things that had happened nationally in their lives. Because as time is going on, children are being born and they're growing up, and the things of the past that God had done are slowly growing distant. But had the children of Israel been faithful to what was recorded in Deuteronomy 31 by reading that law every seven years, they would have been, and of course they did it on, you know, when they got together in, um, in their tents, they would, and, 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 and daily perhaps, as they would stand at the, at the tabernacle, they would hear the word of God. And they had no, they really had no excuse, really. But notice, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, didn't know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And think about all the great things that God had done for them. I mean, bringing them out of, uh, out of Israel, or out of Egypt, I'm sorry, leading several uh, hundreds of thousands, a couple million people actually, leading them through the desert and providing for them food and water for 40 years in the desert. That's unheard of. It's unthinkable, <laughs> and it's, it's not probable, <laughs> you know, but God did it. He did it. And, you know, again, this is where I believe America is right now because generations have arose that do, that do not know the Lord. There have been parents that have grown up, uh, and their grandparents knew the Lord, and, and there came a point where as they were growing up and becoming adults that they somehow got to that place where I'm happy and content with my life. I got my job. I got my money. I got my, my Ford F-250. I've got my, my big camper that we can take on the weekends. I've got my 401K. I've got all my ducks in a row, and yet they're missing the most important thing. And then materialism creeps in, and there's no room for God anymore. Uh, and, and now, you know, and that's where America has gotten. We, we've, we've, we've kicked him out of the schools, out of the public school system. And, and so now, you know, you have a generation growing up. And this is true. Right now, there are kids in the public schools who've never heard the name Jesus Christ. His name is becoming so faint now that there, most men who don't know the Lord aren't even using it as a swear word anymore. They're not even using Jesus Christ as a swear word. So there's so many kids who don't even know who Jesus is. So the young men and the young women of the more recent generations, they've grown up in schools that no longer teach the Word of God, and instead they fill their minds with revised history, they fill their minds with evolution, and they coddle everything of their flesh, every, every desire of the flesh. They're no longer encouraged abstinence, but instead they're handed condoms, they're given uh, birth control pills, and now the, the schools have more authority over your child than you do. And folks, parents, it's time for you to get your authority back. It's time for you to, to be vocal and go in there with, you know, two or three with you at a time, make an appointment with the principal. I mean, don't gang up on the poor person. But, you know, you're, you're there and, and, and have set up something where every, 
every every week there's somebody going into a, a public school who has a child there and and talking to the principal and and being that dripping water um, that squeaky wheel and encourage them to consider these things pray for them we don't go in there and just bash them over the head with a bible we go in there with love but you tell them the truth and that can be done in a civil way that can be done in a civil civil way uh, and one of the things I like about this verse too, as we look here, when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work. One of the things I, I like about this verse too is the exhortation it is for discipleship, because that's one of the things that's really, um, and it happens from time to time, but it's something that we need to be thinking about always and how to disciple younger people under us and you know grandparents and mothers and fathers certainly uh, disciple your kids disciple your grandkids don't ever give up on them and 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 for those of you who are younger minister and disciple the younger underneath you you know that's the way it needs to be and we need to continue to disciple and to exhort so that we can be that um, we can uphold and exemplify the truth of the Word of God. We can be those examples. We can be those ambassadors. We can be those uh, disciplers. And that people, and, and that um, there would just be a great change. Because if it doesn't happen, then this is what happens. Verse 10 is what happens in any society when the men, especially the men and the women, when we stop discipling our kids. We can teach them how to throw a baseball. We can teach them how to throw a football. We can teach them how to bowl. We can teach them many things. But are you teaching them and getting in the Word with them um, often? As often as you can. Make it a habit. First get in the Word yourself and then, and then get into the Word with your kids. Even if it's only 15 or 20 minutes a day, uh, do that. And that's something that I need to do more often too. And so it's something that's important for us. So let's go on. To verse 11. It says, Then the children of Israel, here's another hurtful verse, then, because there had been a generation uh, had, that had died, and, and then the generation afterwards didn't uh, hear about the word and didn't know the works of the Lord. This is the, the result of that. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. There were many different deities. In, in that uh, part of the country, uh, Baal was the, the central god, and uh, but they had different um, smaller gods that they worshipped. And see, the devil doesn't care um, how many different gods one worships, as long as he can get you not to worship the one true God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, one God. He, he, he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him what you serve. Just serve anything but Jesus Christ. And, and that's why God is jealous for his people. He's jealous for his people because he knows what's best for us. And no other God is jealous for you. No other God. That's why, you know, the, the, the God of Islam and the, the God of the Hindus and uh, the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he's not jealous over you. But there's one who's jealous over you because he knows what's best for you. He created you and he has a great plan for your life. But the other gods who are really not, not, nothing more than demonic spirits, they don't care. They don't have problems with each other because all they want to do is keep you away from the one thing. Because they know, they believe God. They know who he is. They, they're not submitted to him. 
but they know who he is better than most of us. They know that he's real. There's no doubt in their mind. That's why when Jesus was casting out those demons, what do those demons say? You know, they, they begged him, uh, you know, to not let them go and, and, and to not send them into the abyss. Isn't that what he said to the demoniac over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.